At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walks before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this great people of yours? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself, long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you walk in my ways, keeping your statues and my commandments... As your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. So our second scripture reading, our New Testament reading, is taken from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. Listen now to God's word once again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you must be 
your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave of all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, may your spirit be upon us that we may discern your will for our lives and may your word empower us in what we do as your followers and disciples. Amen. Now, can you imagine having the opportunity to ask God to give you whatever you wanted? You know, what would you say? Whatever you wish, I will give it. You know, being granted a once-in-a-lifetime chance like this reminds me of the story about three men who were stranded on a deserted island. They were there for many months, living as best as they could. And then, you know, a genie's lamp washed up on the beach, and they pick it up, and they do what you're supposed to do. They rub the lamp, out pops this genie, sees these three men in desperate circumstances, and says, okay, each one of you gets one wish, and one wish only. I'll grant it to you. And the first guy says, well, obviously, I want to go home. And poof, he was gone. The second man says, you know, I want to be with my girlfriend. She's wondering where I am. Wherever she is, please take her to me, or take me to her. And he was gone in a moment. And leaving the one man there, standing there alone, he looks around and he says, you know, I sure miss those two guys. I wish they were back here with, uh, with me. <laughs> That's called blowing your chances. Well, this once-in-a-lifetime chance was given to the young King Solomon, the boy king of Israel. The Bible says this, At a place called Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. Now, being a young man new to royalty, Solomon could have asked for any number of things that could have worked for his political advantage, a strong army to defend his enemies, or he could ask for great riches so that he could impress not only the people of his land, but also the people throughout the known world at that time. Solomon, you may recall, he was given the task to build the temple of the Lord. Think of what he could use if he had the riches, how he could use riches if that was granted to them, to him. But in response to this gracious gesture from God, Solomon says this, I am but a child. I do not know how to come out or how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people that you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people able to discern between good and evil. Solomon's response to God's gracious offer is that God would give him wisdom and understanding. And it turned out to be the right answer. 
So pleased was God with this response that he said to him, because you have not asked for riches or long life, I will give you the wisdom that you are asking for. But in addition to that, I will give you blessings and riches as well. So with God's wisdom upon him, Solomon then would know how to use the blessings that God was going to confer upon him. He could use God's wisdom on how to do what was right, not simply what was to his advantage. Now Solomon, you may recall, was known for uh, the scene in the Bible when two women came to him, one holding a live child and the other holding a dead child. Both of them lived in the same house. Both of them insisted that the living child was hers. The one one woman pleaded, you know, during the night, this woman's son died, and then she got up in the middle of the night and switched her child for mine. No, the other woman said, the dead son is yours, mine is alive. So Solomon had to determine which one was telling the truth. And then this dramatic scene occurs in which he says... Bring a sword and cut the living baby in half. Give one half to the one woman, one half to the other. That's fair, isn't it? And that prompted the legitimate mother of the child to say, I beg you, please don't kill this baby. Let her have, let her have him. Give the living child to the first woman. He said, do not kill him. She is the mother. And this was the wisdom of Solomon. And the Bible says all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him. Solomon's response to God's invitation to give him whatever he wanted is a demonstration of humility. To be humble is to admit that you don't have all the answers. It is to recognize that you uh, don't fully control your own destiny. Solomon recognized that there were circumstances well beyond his control that made him king. You know, Solomon was born to royalty. He inherited the throne from his father, David. He became king of Israel strictly by accident of birth. But he was wise enough to know to ask for wisdom. That doesn't sound like very many people we're familiar with in power uh, today, does it? You know, would people of, you know, of prominence could have that kind of humility? You know, I think there are too many people who reach a certain level of success in life and they forget about all the, the different factors and the circumstances that brought them to that point. Too often they forget that there are factors well beyond their control, which brought them there. You know, Larry King, the uh, well-known talk show host for many years, he was being recognized for 50 years of broadcasting. And he said, anyone who becomes famous as a celebrity in this business and doesn't think luck played a part of it is kidding themselves. Winston Churchill, the prominent prime minister of Great Britain, who came to fame uh, during World War II because of the great leadership that he rendered, 
during that conflict, and he said, I'm just a person who collided with a moment in history. The real heroes are the people of England. Those who are wise are the ones who are humble enough to know that they need the help of others. They need the others to accomplish great things. I was given this uh, example from a man named Larry Bossidy, and he was the uh, former CEO of Allied Signal. He ran a very successful company, and he was asked to share some of his reflections. And he says, you know, being a CEO used to mean you're the one who had all the answers. But these are humbling jobs, which is why I don't hesitate now to go to my subordinates and ask for their input because I need their input. Now compare Solomon's request to the request that uh, two of Jesus' disciples made to him, James and John, rendered to us in the New Testament. You know, when Jesus, uh, when, whenever he had disciples asking you know, to speak with him in private, he was usually suspicious about what they were going to ask. And so Jesus, as he often did, would walk while he conversed with others. And so these two disciples, James and John, pull him aside, and this is what they ask. Master, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Now notice, unlike the case with Solomon, you know, they're the ones who are coming to Jesus asking him to give them something. Jesus does not ask them. And so Jesus is very careful with his response. What is it that you're asking of me to do? We want to know, Jesus, that when you come in all of your glory, your kingdom is established in all the corners of the earth, that we, one can sit at your left hand, one can sit at your right. They want to know what Jesus is going to do if he were to become king. And they wanted to make sure they had their slice of that kingdom pie. Now the disciples' requests you notice that Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to give it to you. Is a demonstration of the opposite of humility, and that is pride. Pride is the overinflation of oneself. Those two disciples were looking out for themselves. They wanted to be the key players. And they didn't care about the others. You know, there was a newly elected politician visiting Washington, D.C., not long before he was to take his place in Congress. And so he did a smart thing. He wanted to talk to one of the high-ranking senators who had been in office for many years. And so he invited him over uh, to uh, you know, his, his place, which overlooked the Potomac River. And as they were looking out over the Potomac, Potomac River, a deteriorating log floated by in full view. In front of them, the old-timer said, this city is a lot like that log. And, and the fledgling politician said, well, what do you mean by that? The senator said, well, there's probably thousands of grubs and ants and other critters on that old log as it's going down the river. Each one of them thinks he or she is steering that log. That's the nature of pride. If humility is the recognition that you are but a cog in the wheel of life, Pride is to believe you are the wheel. 
Humility reminds us that we are but a link in the chain. Pride makes us believe we are the chain. And perhaps that's why God gives us these little reminders in life that no one is indispensable. You know, that job that you learn to do so well, so efficiently, that job which no one else can do but you, so much so that the company could never part ways with you, turns out to be more doable than you thought when they replace you after you leave. And the work of the company goes on. The Bible reminds us of this also. Remember, remember that you know Moses, the prominent leader of the people of Israel, who led the Israelites out of the Promised Land across the desert, out of the land of Egypt across the desert to the Promised Land. When it came time for him to die, God raised up another leader, and his name was Joshua. When King David, who set the standard for kingly greatness, when he died, God raised up Solomon to succeed him and who would build the temple. You know, something to consider is that the nature of pride is that it pushes people out. And you'll notice that in this scene of Jesus and these two disciples, when the other disciples hear about what they're approaching Jesus with, they begin to grumble and complain. Who are they to ask for this special privilege? They have been pushed aside, crowded out. And that's because pride, by nature, is competitive. Pride does not simply delight in having something. It delights in having something more than that other person. Pride is not pleased with having talent or being beautiful. It is about having more talent and being more beautiful than that next person. And that's why pride is never satisfied, because there's always somebody who has that thing that you don't have and can do it better. But humility pulls people into our lives. It acknowledges to others, hey, I don't have the answers. I need your help, your expertise. And if you feel that you know, people are more distant from you in your life, perhaps it is because you have not allowed them into your life. And on a much more serious level, You know, pride is also what pushes God out. Humility allows God in. With Solomon's request for wisdom, he allowed God into his life in a way that he couldn't if he was full of pride or looking out for his own interests. It was his admission that he, even the most powerful leader in the land, had to submit himself to a power that was greater than himself. And that's the beauty of humility. It allows God to take control of your life rather than you trying to take control of it yourself. And, in the, and, and, and we're able to, in humility, take those burdens that weigh us down and, and, we, and we take them off our shoulders and we hand them over to a power that is greater than our own. And the greatest example of this humility was demonstrated in the person of Jesus. I have come, says Jesus, not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. That became the driving force for Jesus in his life and in his ministry. 
And it was Jesus who said to these disciples, who wanted to sit at his left hand and at, at his right in all of his glory, Jesus says this, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave of all. That was the life of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfectly humble and obedient life, putting his own will aside for the sake of his heavenly fathers. Humility helps us to see God for who he is and ourselves for who we are. The wisdom of Solomon was that he got it. May it serve as a reminder on how to ask for the right thing. Amen. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or we could think, to him be the power and the glory now and forever. Amen and amen.